Greetings, everybody out there in dreamland. Namaste and shalom. Iron sharpens iron and a friend sharpens a friend. You are listening to the Beyond Top Secret Texan. I am the Beyond Top Secret Texan. Broadcasting to you from the coast with the most, the Gulf Coast, the third coast of Texas. The darkest truths from the darkest web need to be told. And you must listen to the Beyond Top Secret Texan. Greetings everybody out there in dreamland. Namaste and shalom. Iron sharpens iron and a friend sharpens a friend. Thank you all very much for tuning in to another broadcast of the Beyond Top Secret Texan. I am the Beyond Top Secret Texan and I am broadcasting to you from the third coast, the Gulf Coast, the coast with the most. That's right, the third coast of Texas. It is my pride and privilege to be doing so. So thank you all very much, listeners, new and old alike out there in Dreamland. You can reach me through my social media accounts for collaboration opportunities and our sponsorship. You can reach me um, simply to share a experience or a close encounter. You can reach me this year, if you would like to be a special guest, I am scheduling into the 2023 year. So don't be shy. Even if you're an independent creator or a uh, uh, you know newcomer to the scene, ufology, the paranormal. If you are an independent creator, if you are located in Texas, especially if you are located in South Texas. Uh, we would love to feature you. We have a few, hopefully, upcoming uh, interviews and guests from that criteria, but hopefully hoping to spotlight Texas-based, Texas native, or native Texans, independent creators, especially at that, who focus on the paranormal, uh, studying either ufology, cryptozoology, or other quote-unquote conspiracy or fringe uh, subjects. Now, of course, I only say quote-unquote because that is how they classify us. I fully embrace the, the classifications as just it makes it easier to have this discourse when we know the truth, we know it's not a conspiracy theory, but a conspiracy fact. Uh, we know we are, quote-unquote, Patriot Radio. Uh, we are, however you would like to call us and call yourselves, we know we are that. So, um, and handling these matters, just know moving forward, this is a safe space. This is a space for dignified, respectful conversation and dialogue, as well as uh, featuring that no subject would be considered a opportunity for disrespect or, um, you know, 
skeptical debate or, or anything, because that is just distasteful and uh, ungentlemanly, especially between intellectuals and uh, fellow independents, uh, professionals, and even amateurs uh, who are just passionate about the subject. You don't need a college degree. You don't need uh, to have anything besides an honest passion, interest, or expertise in the subject to be featured. Of course, it is by a case-by-case basis. You know, I reserve the right to, you know, review and, 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 you know, vet, etc., all messages. So just don't think that I'm literally hoping anyone, you know, you know, joins or, or requests because I would feature them. No, no, it's not like Coast to Coast AM where we have the open board or anything, no. Uh, all my guests, you know, of course, are respected by me first uh, before I even ask. Um, having gone through their portfolios and archives of, of work. And I will be doing the same to all potential guests in the future as well. The standards for the Beyond Top Secret Texan are very high in that respect. But just know that you can reach me, and you are uh, you know, welcome to do so, because I am hoping to schedule for the 2023. So if you would like to be featured on an internationally listened to podcast in the top 200 in over 20 nations around the world with a viewership last year close to 8 million with very successful TikTok channels, YouTube channels under uh, my belt with a persistent, constant, and increasing audience. Moving forward, if you would like to, as an independent creator, be featured on our podcast and um, be given the spotlight for that audience to help share your message, reach out to me, DM me, contact me, email me. All that information is available on my social media. That social media can be found um, through Linktree slash Beyond Top Secret Texan. Linktree slash Beyond Top Secret Texan. And for listeners who want to share this podcast, go ahead, feel free, and thank you very much in advance for doing so. We are strictly, you know, word of mouth, user to user, inbox to inbox, uh, Reddit posts to 4chan posts, etc., and how this channel grows and reaches a larger audience. It has been a meteoric ascent. It's been greater than my wildest expectations. And we hope to even increase that and to uh, really stretch out what's possible. But we can only do it with your loyalty, your activism, webtivism, um, hacktivism, whatever you would like to call it, by simply posting online and spreading the word about episodes, the show, leaving good reviews, uh, posting in the comments on YouTube videos or whatever. Uh, platform you see me on, whether it be Odyssey or Library or um, Instagram or Twitter, etc. Uh, just remember that they they locked me out of TikTok. I can't even access the TikTok app or the webpage through my phone. Uh, <laughs> so uh, while those channels exist... And uh, I believe the first one I created is still viewable, and the view count is well over a billion views now. 
I receive no monetary value from any of the posts on TikTok, and I cannot access or or even engage with the app or anything. So keep that in mind moving forward. Patreon took two Patreon accounts from me away back-to-back. Um, so you can't, and I, and I can't, you know, create another Patreon account. Um, you know, why bother? Because they're just going to take it away again, so it's not like I have a Patreon that you can sign up to or anything. It's not because I didn't want to, it's because they've taken them away. This is an extremely shadow banned, extremely censored, extremely uh, obscured, and, um, you know, shilled and hated on uh, podcast because we tell the truth. We tell the truth that you need to know, and we tell it like it is. Uh, we tell nothing but the truth, you know, so help us God. And that is the truth that you need to spread if you want to be a truth teller as well. So feel free to share any episode in the archives, etc. Any episode that you would like a request subject matter wise, you could leave that in the comment section below or uh, leave your ratings, leave your reviews. Definitely welcome even the one star hate reviews. Love those. They're like nectar to me. So, um, Definitely uh, encourage all kind of interaction. It really helps us out a lot. All right, to get into it, today's subject, we're going to be talking about the, I guess, interpretation of Tartaria. And I just use that word as the genre title for it. Like I said, the conspiracy, you know, rose by any other name. It's taken the popularized moniker of Tartaria. But even though that means specific incidences or geolocations in the world, it also means much more, including implications of a cyclical apocalypse, mud flood, antiquitech, uh, high technology, ancient civilizations, a, a massive cover-up, uh, repopulation agenda, a great reset, uh, the control of this information, the suppression of this information from the mass public. It means uh, a worldwide empire of an unknown religious or uh, political uh, doctrine or belief or practice. It, uh, technology of shaping stone to uh, possible free energy, uh, worldwide direct energy weapons and power grids, etc. Uh, making men like gods to everything to including breatharian utopias of hermaphroditic demigods who didn't defecate. And everyone has their right to interpretation and exploration of the phenomenon. I definitely encourage it, especially the review of it. I've made multiple videos before last year um, and since 2021 about the realities of this true ancient worldwide high-tech empire that existed. But everyone looks at it kind of from their own personal roots and belief systems, and as do I. And so today I'm going to be describing at least how I view the ancient world as synthesized with various other important world histories and focal narratives 
and how that has been changed up and I will try to deconstruct how it's been changed up, reverse engineer the reality and explain it to you how I, how I <clears throat> instinctively see it, how I, how I view it. And that is, in no, no short terms, a huge undertaking. It's a massive concept, conceptualization that I'm trying to summarize in like basically an hour and a half to keep the video short, or keep the episode short. Um, sweet and to the point. Because um, it's like, you know, you can talk about this subject literally for years and not truly encapsulate everything that has happened over the centuries and rewriting this history, let alone the real timeline and centuries that occurred creating the timeline in the first place. But, um, you know, we'll try to, I'll try to, you know, do my best in summarizing these, these uh, concepts and these, these points in time. But, yes, I do firmly believe that ancient Egypt was where the continental United States currently is. The Nile River Valley, the Nile River and the Nile River Delta are the Mississippi River and the Delta, uh, Mississippi Delta leading into the Gulf of Mexico. The Gulf of Mexico is the uh, Mediterranean Sea. The Fertile Crescent is Florida to the Yucatan Peninsula of Mexico. The Caribbean Islands are where ancient Greece was written to be, or, or basically where all the events of ancient Greece occurred, where the Caribbean Islands. Um, the map of the ancient Middle Eastern Mesopotamic world with its empires is inverted but otherwise accurate in the placement but the names have been multiplied to <clears throat> explain and describe events that happened within a much more unified and monolithic uh, state system or belief system, a worldwide empire so that it wasn't unknown across the world because the technology was, of course, very high-tech and the populations were much, much greater than ever is dreamed about. But also, geographically, it was not where they are supposing it is, and thus the limitations and difficulties of that area do not exist. Uh, by that, I mean all of Mesopotamia, all of the Fertile Crescent of the ancient world, North Africa, uh, Southern Europe, all of it, the Mediterranean coast, all of it, occurred in North America, or South America, the Caribbean, and uh, basically is just an inverter where everything happening in the north is actually happening to the south. Everything reported to happen in the eastern uh, geographies of that were happening in the western geographies of North America and uh, South America, and then what were happening in the um, quote-unquote ancient Egyptian 
Nile River area and their greater extent of the African Empire was happening in the Gulf Coast of America and the greater extent of North America, leading to the tributaries of the Mississippi River itself, the Great Lakes. So basically the entire Mississippi River Valley. Uh, Louisiana area, for example, Louisiana Purchase area, uh, was very much the the original heartland of the Egyptian kingdoms, north and south. But like I but like I previously said, it's inverted. So uh, south was the original main kingdom, with north being the conquered kingdom. And instead of north being ancient Egypt's original kingdom, with the south being the conquered kingdom. But yes, the unification of the north and south was uh, Egypt was the north and south of America and this mythology this legend this actual history that is interpreted in the old testament that is interpreted in the histories of the world that is interpreted in uh, islamic modern society and secular modern society in christian and catholic and you know, everything is uh, modern history of the world is based on real events that also coincide with the secret space program, the SSP's interpretation of cosmologies of the history of the world. So that it's not contradictory, but rather uh, further explains or helps, one helps explain the other. The SSP helps explain a lot of the creation myth, the creation detail, the interpretation of these and uh, otherwise supernatural or metaphysically godlike abilities of these ancient peoples, and the cyclical apocalyptic nature of the world that they inherited the consequences of their actions as well as the explanation for their actions and how it cycles down to this point where uh, predeterminists, which is a concept of Christianity, Christian uh, Gnosticism, that all the events of the Holy Bible, including the Revelation, the the millennial reign of Christ, the thousand-year reign of Christ resurrected on earth, the tribulation and rapture of the believers, the true Christians, into immortal, saint-like, angelic beings, and the uh, destruction of the ancient evil, as well as the little season, the return of Satan, has already occurred. And that we are currently just living through the last era of that as well as the concept that the events of Jesus Christ's life, like in the crater earth belief, are actually the repurposed or the re-explained adventures of, or life and times of Julius Caesar, the first emperor of Rome, the first god-emperor, the deified Roman uh, Messiah of that destroyed the old world order of the um, Kabbalistic 
uh, senator state, the Republic of Rome, the SPQR, and turned it into a proper holy empire built that we would see uh, around the church of himself, his own godhood, and would recreate the, uh, or maybe even be repurposed multiple times as Alexander the Great, as uh, various mythic figures like Genghis Khan, um, even the Greek Dionysus, the king god who of drunkenness and uh, civilization's uh, empire's hedonism and insanity, basically, unto, unto wild peoples throughout India. The nature of that, too, being that the ancient world history that we're taught is 100% fabricated. So a lot of it can be disregarded based on just pure logic and pure um, understand that even after a mud flood or a great reset of a tremendous caliber, that the city's ruins would not be so complete and that once investigation begins, the inevitable result is that the old world monoliths and wonders of the Mesopotamic and Fertile Valley and Crescent simply do not exist until the 1800s when the British and uh, the French and other European powers which are firmly under the modern industrial uh, sway of Orientalism and uh, British Israelism, Zionism, basically, and are opposed to Catholic rule, purposely seek out, based on legend, and in many cases the Old Testament itself, the ruins and uh, to seek out evidence for the actual reality of many places, such as in Greek myth, the, the search for Troy, or the search for Atlantis. Uh, in the Old Testament myths, the search for the path of the Exodus, or the search for evidence of crossing of the Red Sea, or the excavation of Jerusalem, for example. People think that Jerusalem... In the has always been this place of holy reverence that people always knew the artifacts, locations of, and stuff, and that is simply not true. It wasn't until the 1800s, and a lot of those places were quote-unquote rediscovered, and the, the remnants of like the Western Wall and things like that are terribly inaccurate. That is not the Western Wall of King Solomon's Temple. That's actually just part of the, like the old walls of Jerusalem. And um, over time have been reinterpreted and given this holy significance when it's simply just not historically the case. And a lot of Christian scholars have come out and said that. Also, a lot of the so-called evidence in the modern era for the biblical orientation of the Middle East had, was recent, only very recently, and I mean super recently, understood such as uh, the Noah's Ark being discovered in Mount Ararat. And that was done supposedly with satellite photography by the CIA. 
Um, there was an individual named Ron Wyatt. Ron Wyatt was a Christian fundamentalist in America who went to Saudi Arabia and Iran and Yemen and supposedly found the traces of the Exodus, including a rock that was drilled or basically sawn in half or cut in half, uh, supposed to be by Aaron's rod or uh, Mount... Uh, Sinai or Mount uh, Herod and and supposedly found locations and locative evidence uh, such as wagon wheels on the bottom of the Red Sea, etc. in the 1980s and 90s. And uh, to keep in mind that the Ark of the Covenant, for example, is still unlocated and uh, many of the ancient artifacts are considered uh, plundered and lost forever. But also, things like ancient Egyptian monuments are still being unearthed, and the idea that the Sphinx was completely buried until Napoleon, or around the age of Napoleon, or that, um, you know, that no mummies were actually found in the pyramids, yet people thought the pyramids were for mummies, and named them such, like the King's Chamber and things which they had no history ever associated with the burials and murals. So the idea that we have a firm and solid grasp of the ancient world because it's just so obvious and will always exist, absolute bullshit. Absolutely. Like, they're finding major, quote-unquote, religious uh, buildings in ancient Egypt every year. Like, they found the Valley of the Kings in the 1990s, like, or 1980s. And it's like, what? Like, you va- you found the Valley of the Kings, like, less than 50 years ago, and that's where all your mummies basically came from? Like, otherwise, the mummies were just being sold, sometimes eaten, sometimes even just smoked, or just, like, uh, used as party decorations by the British? Because no doubt mummies were local to the area, like in South America, you just the mummies are just sitting outside, literally sitting up. In, in the desert caves and stuff like that. Like, they're just sitting there. Uh, and you get these mummies, and then you're like, hey, you want to buy a mummy? <laughs> Into, like, a tourist. And yeah, they do. Because they're desperate to bring back anything of any importance. And over time, those mummies filter across, you know, the the collector world. And then, like, they get repurposed. So the idea of the Egyptian mummy is completely bunk because... You know, it's it's on the sarcophagi and things like that. Uh, it's it's at one point you got to believe it was all just brought there. It was all just quote unquote recently discovered because it's all brought there. It's intentionally moved from uh, Europe and across you know different channels to Egypt, not the other way around because it's not there. When, say, for example, photography and film get introduced and the local population starts industrializing and becoming modern, it's not really an issue, for example, because they're Muslim and absolutely no one identifies with this thousands-of-year-old empire and they just literally don't care. <laughs> like, it's not like a big deal that the pyramids exist. They just don't give a shit. Um, and it's not. it's not like... Since then, they haven't already lost the Library of Alexandria, and they just put all these things in Egypt. 
which th- that doesn't exist. <laughs> and it doesn't exist because they blame the Muslims. And they'll be like, oh, the Muslims just don't care. They destroyed it. And that, oh, don't you know that they're just kind of a backwards people? But they're not. And it's like, you tr- they basically, the, Mus- the Egyptians, Native Egyptians, weren't going to deny that they were important because, you know, they have everything to gain from it once that they're a part of the British Empire, basically. They're a British protectorate. And so, um, you know, and it's it's just a lot of nonsense to think of this, like the world history that they give us is anything but real. But so we're not going to try to get into every detail of that and everything, but um, whereas this episode could be could be three hours, I'll just try to do it in one. But we'll try to rewrite uh, the fake history of the world to a real history of the world. As well as trying to explain that we descended, we've degenerated, and we haven't, but we but we become liberated. We've freed ourselves, and we didn't free ourselves, but we were freed, and now we find ourselves free. We are free now ourselves, regardless if we are not advanced. At least we are free. So it starts with understanding the world as the Orion Draco Empire that it truly was. And that while they were an increasingly subterranean species due to the lack of radiation on the surface of the world, uh, radiation that they truly need to survive because of their you know, intense physiologies. They're like a uh, extremophile-type creature, like one of those worms that live on the bottom of the ocean next to volcanoes. They have to have some kind of thermal activity and heat. Um, they ruled the surface through their livestock, and their livestock was humans. They are, we are incredibly versatile for laborers, for uh, the livestock we provide with psychic energy was... Um, craftsmanship energy as well as they knew it was a taboo to raise an intelligent species simply to exploit perversely for their own satisfaction and desires and needs uh, specifically hungers uh, and because they were vampiric at this time and I mean both literally and psychically vampiric uh, needed a constant source of blood much like humans, who are carnivorous, or rather omnivorous, need a constant source of livestock, meat, and animal byproducts. You like gummy bears? That's made with bones. Cattle bones. That's right. You like, um, you know, (laughs) sausage uh, with those eggs? That's an entire rendered pig. (laughs) You know, it's like... You have to you have to really stop and think of the billions and billions of animals that die a year just because people have certain preferences for how they start their day and uh, make it kind of a political statement to enjoy meat as well as you know either deny meat or enjoy meat because vegan farms for example create massive genocides on local animal populations and. Uh, the genetic engineering and creating of plants is the same manipulation, exploitation of a life form. It's just a non-cognitive, 
non-cognitive um, life form. It's non-intelligent life form. But it is life. And, see, life, life has to eat life, right? But it is taboo to eat intelligent life. And that is where the line kind of gets point of ethics, is how intelligent of an animal um, are you allowed to eat? And, and how do you sympathize with that based on, like, uh, for taste and convenience? Because pigs are extremely intelligent, by the way. Pigs are as smart as people uh, in many cases. And we eat millions of those fucking things because they're just so delicious. So, of course, reptilians would eat millions of human beings because we're just so delicious. And that's exactly their mentality. But the point is, they ruled these billions, or if not trillions of humans, uh, chattel slaves, with their dragonic forms, their high royalty making appearances and terrorizing them, and basically posing as serpentine gods. Uh, the subterranean world itself was seen as Tiamat, especially the ocean, because it was the unknown realm in which birthed these literal leviathans and Godzilla-sized fucking giants that of reptilian descent and origin to terrorize and literally uh, collect and, and harvest the millions of victims routinely, like seasonally. Now, the high priest class and the royal families were one. And basically, the soldier class was the literal castrated drones um, that were that were cloned and, and basically distributed throughout the kingdoms um, by design, by genetic design. Thus, the creation of the human caste system, of an empire, of an evil empire. And these hybrid royal bloodlines, these dragon priests, are the same as the Chinese kings, the dragon rulers. Right? Basically, these literal hybrids of dragon and men. And that they were terrors, uh, they would terrorize populations, they were extremely violent. Draconic law, draconian law, like the Greek king Dracon, uh, was basically dragonic law. It was extremely, just extremely severe. Right, extremely severe times. Now, this, of course, was the reason why the Ashtar High Command waged war on the Orion Draco Empire, was because they were an empire, multi-species, against any kinds of permission, and they had violated a very universal rule, a law, that basically, in the law of one, you can't divert anything's free will that is a su sufficient intelligence or psychic ability. It cannot be exploited or enslaved. Right? That's basically the, the absolute taboo of intelligent species slavery. When the Ashtar High Command attacked the Orion Draco Empire, these events were seen as apocalyptic in scale and design. Like the discharge of plasma the size of comets that would devastate all electronics, all um, technology on the surface world, literally scorch and destroy 
a vast majority of all cities and infrastructure and uh, civilization to the point that it created the effects of nuclear weaponry, but on a global scale, including even boiling away a vast majority of the water on the Earth and totally stripping it of its atmosphere. Maybe even knocking it off of its uh, polar axis, right? And creating untold death and destruction to the point that the Earth may not have even been as habitable as it once was and definitely never again would look the same geographically. This was the first apocalypse, right? But if you want to think about this Orion Draco empire, think of the legends of, um, like, Lord of the Rings or um, Narnia or some kind of high fantasy where multiple species of hybrid-type humanoids are either ruled or in rebellion or fear of a evil sorcerer or dragon. Uh, those archetypes are ancient. And they, like even the uh, stories of the uh, world before the Anunnaki and the world of... Because uh, this is even pre-biblical. This is the world where of the Hindus and the Vedas, where great demon kings ruled the world, and uh, various like hell type scenarios existed with nagas and uh, gods fighting each other, etc. Over you know princesses and things that like, were metaphors for the human spirituality, Sophia, knowledge, uh, gnosis, things like that. You have to look into those histories. Not This isn't located really in the Old Testament. But the Old Testament can only begin, because human beings only begin after this first apocalypse. Because the apocalypse is so thorough that the Orion Draco Empire is forced underground. It's psychic control and electronic empire that ruled over humanity is completely obliterated and the hybrid bloodlines are basically destroyed, right? And any hybrid bloodlines that occurred afterwards were reseeded in the surviving population afterwards, right? So this is a complete apocalypse for this first age. The second age begins um, after... The death of Tiamat, destruction of Tiamat, by Inki, or Lucifer, or Elohim, or Zeus, Jupiter, Odin, uh, etc. Whatever figure that the ancient world has for these heroic champion sky beings, these star people, Vishnu, um, you know, they, these beings that emerged from the heavens to destroy the dragon, destroy the serpent. Apollo... <clears throat> destroying Python, etc. Um, that was the metaphor of the gods, the human-formed gods, are the gods in humans' uh, image in humanity's corner, in the alliance of humanity, destroying the anti-human reptilian serpent or dragon. 
via warfare and violence and thunderbolts and electrical and plasma weaponry. The Storm. Now, Ancient Mysteries has very good videos on deciphering the Anunnaki and this concept of God as a weapon, a hammer of God, a tool of God that is likened to a comet, a fireball, a plasma ball, a, a basically black sun or a purple sun, a destroyer, a evil wind, and things like that. And that even Inky, the Anunnaki Inky, when he was battling Tiamat, the dragon queen, blew an evil wind into her mouth, which opened it up enough for him to stab her in the heart and uh, kill her with his spear. Now, to me, that sounds like there is a electrical energy shield uh, surrounding the reptilian empire of Earth, and that the plasma weaponry was uh, able to knock down this shield, open the mouth, enough for them to use Rod of God-type technology to basically destroy the capital and ruling uh, cities and, and, you know, important, you know, entities of this ancient world, uh, basically stab it in the heart and watch it die and then assume this new godhood because the cyclical apocalypse, the new gods are the old demons. Uh, ancient Mysteries does a great job explaining all of that, so watch those videos. Now, this is ancient history pre-Old uh, pre Testament. Old Testament begins after this because people begin after this and that all information is related to them by extraterrestrials in the form of the Ashtar High Command that we have taken to be messengers of God. Angels. Which, L, the Shining Ones, is all intents and purposes God. But God is even greater than than even the angelic court and the Elohim. Remember that. This is so don't don't mistake little Gachi gods for and the pantheon gods for the great Tao and concept of the creator intelligence of the all high, the Alpha and Omega. Alright, so the Ashtar High Command reseeds and cultivates the chosen tribes of men, and this is what makes them chosen. It literally creates Adam and Eve out of these chosen DNAs, the clay of the earth that it remains, and suits them to their environments and puts them in the Garden of Eden. This, these first tribes, these are the chosen and literally created in the image of God tribes created again in the image of their God, nature, earth, how they evolved, uh, how they were originally before the Orion Draco took them, and created the Garden of Eden. The Garden of Eden is a reseeded part of the world that was left for them. Currently, Florida. That's right, it's Florida. And this is important because it better explain it while I mention it. Right. So, the Garden of Eden is... Florida, and if you don't believe me, I have this video lined up here. It's important because a big part of what I'm talking about is that the North American continent is ancient Egypt and is the site of the Old Testament, right? So the Old Testament is the secret gnosis that America, North America, is literally the geolocation of the events of the Old Testament Bible, and that the those incarnated in America and the events of America are the 
discourse of the Hebrews, the chosen people of God, otherwise known as the people of Israel. This is Israel. This is Israel. All of this. This is Israel. Egypt is not what they called ancient Egypt. They called it Kemet. Uh, Egypt is the word they used for the world. Egypt literally means the entire known world. It's like calling Earth, Earth. Egypt means Earth back then. It was called Kemet. Their kingdom was called Kemet. They did not call ancient Egypt, Egypt. And that's a big part of Israel. Israel was the chosen place of God's people. The people of Israel are the people of Israel no matter where they live. But Israel itself, the kingdom of Judea and Israel, are in North America and they are uh, in Mexico. And the people of Israel are the Aztecs and the Mayans and the people of the Hebrews, Moses, the Exodus. Those tribes came from uh, North America, specifically Wisconsin. And uh, the events of the Exodus are kind of jumbled up. But ultimately they do add up because it's a people being chased by a kingdom because they have a rival claim to a throne they travel through much wilderness multi-generationally to find a promised land to them by their god who originally is a serpent specifically a snake a, a massive snake uh defined like a a type of snake of egypt and uh remember egypt being north america so it's a massive snake and then over time, evolves to that of the feathered eagle, which in their interpretation is a feathered serpent. And the eagle eats their old deity, the ancient snake, otherwise known as the symbol of the tribe of Dan, and replaces it as literally a triumphant god symbolically devouring the ancient world of the Ashtar High Command's eagle, the phoenix, the uh, bird, and from there place, create their capital, which we know as Tignoctiklon, which is the city of the sun, but which is also known as Jerusalem, the city of the sun, the city in the center of the world, which is a moniker created to describe Babylon. Babylon being the city in the middle of the world. Which is a proclamation formerly made by Egypt. The city in the center of all. Literally the capital of the world. So you have two rival Egyptian empires, just like in the Old Testament, ultimately breaking down to the people Moses liberated, brother of Pharaoh, to create Israel, the Hebrew Empire, in the name of God, their God, their monotheistic new God, who literally defeated and devoured the old god of Egypt, whether it led them to victory or not. It still secured their destiny based on, in the Old Testament, 
trials of faith and loyalty and purity, uh, purifying them from the wickedness that they inherited from an ancient system, which I can explain in the Old Testament is clearly the worship of reptilians. But getting back into uh, why I also have evidence to believe, this is not just a claim. Many people say this is just a baseless claim. You know, using coincidental things like, well, it's a river, it's a river. I'll have this lined up just as a type of uh, A-side to explain a little bit, clarify it. This is from Old World Florida, a YouTube channel I've been liking to watch lately. The True Fertile Crescent, the Gulf of Mexico, where they will explain why the Garden of Eden and the Nile River Valley are described as, or the Nile River specifically, as having four mouths that fork from it and feed into it. Now, there is only one geographic location in the known world with four rivers connecting to one in that pattern, and that is in the southeastern United States. And I would just have this little brief clip lined up to help explain that from a third party so you see that it's an idea worth researching and taking note of. Up until World War II, it was not uncommon to hear Florida professed as the original Garden of Eden, as Arab-centric propaganda had not been cemented into our school systems. Land advertisements and articles of the pre-war eras reflect a seemingly widespread acknowledgement of this fact. 1912 booklet, distributed by the Tampa Board of Trade, professed, Florida climate proves that original Garden of Eden was located there. On the 8th of February, 1910, the Tampa Tribune printed that, quote, the Garden of Eden was in Florida. The Tampa Tribune similarly printed the following on March 11, 1919. General Richard E. Edmonds is correct. Only the extremely ignorant and supremely jealous now deny that here was the original Garden of Eden. Not only was the original Garden of Eden in Florida, much more to the point, it is still here, and there are no rivals. End quote. Dozens and dozens of articles and land advertisements echo the same consensus. Mesopotamia equals Mexipotamia. Mesopotamia translates to the land amidst the rivers. In Genesis, four rivers went out of Eden. The Euphrates, the Pison, the Gihon, and the Hydekel, also known as the Tigris. Of the modern Mesopotamia's erroneously attributed rivers, only the Tigris and Euphrates flow today, and the identities of the other two, the Pison and the Gihon, are entirely up for debate. Keep in mind, within the mainstream narrative, the area of Iraq, Syria, and Jordan, labeled the cradle of civilization, required extensive irrigation to render their largely barren land remotely fertile. 
which automatically disqualifies it from the candidacy for Eden. Another truth which is lost on scholars is the fact that these four rivers came to a single head. This feature is not to be found on any of the eastern continents. Believe it or not, it is in Lake Seminole, located exactly on the Florida-Georgia line, that we find the planet's only true four-headed river system. The four physical rivers of Eden are the Chattahoochee, Fish Pond Creek River, the Spring Creek River, and the Flint River. These four ancient names were carried to Asia on the Ark during the flood and reassigned to the four closest major rivers. This is how Eden was lost. But the Gulf Stream persisted, and thus the same unique ecosystems of Florida took hold again, and paradise was restored. This fact was uncovered by Christian theologian and lawyer L.V.E. Calloway, Florida's Republican candidate for governor in 1936, who was ordained a Baptist preacher at only 17 years old. Calloway was sent on a mission from God by none other than Dr. Brown Landone, renowned Florida mystic and author. Landone instructed Calloway to move from central to northern Florida after initiating him into what was called the Order of Melchizedek. Now, the initiations of the Order of Melchizedek are the same exact uh, titles given to Jesus Christ. And he was a ordained minister or priest of the Order of Melchizedek. It is an ancient, ancient order of uh, Hebrew and Abrahamic uh, faith and belief. And, you know, it's trans-spiritual. It's, it's basically the, the true world ethos and order given to by the Astro High Command. Now, to get going into it, it would be... Uh, is check it out yourself, the True Fertile Crescent in the Gulf of Mexico video over Florida, because a lot of this is what inspired, uh, almost all of it inspired uh, what I'm saying right now. Now, to get into it, they keep going into it. Now, Garden of Eden, right, set up, you established it into the Florida panhandle, and the Gulf, Crest, uh, Gulf Coast of Mexico is the Fertile Crescent with the islands of the Caribbean being the Greek islands of the Peloponnese, right? So, um, people are reseated there, right? Now, the original tribes were doing fine until they rediscovered ancient reptilian ruins or actually were contacted by subterranean survivors and the spiritual ghosts which they interpreted to be the serpent satan right this is the basically uh the fallen angels these are the uh earthly angels the subterranean angels the jinn the uh negative spiritual like gods but are like the heavenly hosts the heavenly angels but inverse in evilly inverse they wish to subjugate and destabilize slash uh, quote-unquote, destroy the reign of the now-existing heavenly, heavenly angels and uh, the court of God, right? So this is basically how it breaks down into the spiritual, as we've all been familiarized and told and understood, much more than we have the extraterrestrial. But moving forward into the future, mankind will understand these as extraterrestrial 
uh, wars, as wars between spacefaring empires, as wars between beings from the stars, not the heavens, the stars. Now, there's a reason why even the ancient world worship stars, and we'll get to that. So, they have, quote-unquote, encountered and been cast out of the kingdom of heaven by the Astra High Command. Now, this is a metaphor and also rejumbled because the timeline of Exodus spans during the timeline of... I mean, not Exodus, sorry, the timeline of Genesis. The timeline of Genesis spans uh, through to the fall of the Tower of Babel. Now, that is considered Eden until the fall of the Tower of Babel and the flood of Noah. Those events are all the same. The Tower of Babel, Tower of Babylon, the first city of Babylon, the first world empire, which originated from the Gulf Coast of Mexico and was geographically probably in the very similar location or maybe even in Florida, the first Babylonian empire, ruled by Nimrod, tried to power some kind of Stargate or restart the old Orion Draco technology or the empire or the worship of them, the hybridization programs that they incorporated or the uh, subjugation of life on earth or all men and all beings uh, by this king, maybe self-deification, glorification. But it was seen as a direct rebellion against their design and purpose intentionally, intentionally. Now, this would cause the response of the Ashtar High Command, a.k.a. the Star People, a.k.a. the Anunnaki, uh, that created and uh, oversaw the Elohim that oversaw this creation of the Garden of Eden era, the Utopia era, where there was no difficulty in the natural environment and that people were allowed to have free will and choose where and where and what and how they lived their lives. And they chose to unify, which is kind of positive, but also to wage war against their creators and rebel against their uh, quote-unquote star gods and to put themselves above the stars of their own gods, or at least try to, thus build a space-faring empire which was, at this point, non-permissible, using Orion Draco technology and belief systems and philosophy, a.k.a. magic. Um, so, the Astra High Command, not wanting to exterminate humanity, which they had created, and uh, not wanting to uh, really extinct them, not, uh, but also got to no, lower their numbers and stop all of this empire that they've created from ever existing, again, decide to soft-apocalypse them through natural disasters, which they could interpret to be of, you know, their own deserving. You know, basically, hey, you've sinned, you waged war and to the Most High, so we're going to give you a flood, cataclysmic flood, due to the coastlines both rising and falling um, in the thousands of foot range, I think it's like 150 feet on average, the coastlines rose and fell, which is incredible uh, within a century. And then, in some cases, it's 
thousands of feet of coastline that were, you know, kilometers, kilometers of coastline of cities that are now completely underwater. Uh, say in Indonesia and the continent of Mu, Lemuria, etc. So we do know at this time a great flooding, a great shifting of, uh, they say that's glacial water, or um, which very well could be. It very well could have been a melting of the polar ice caps, ending the polar ice ball earth into a flooded uh, island earth, basically creating a lot of oceans as well as also, um, you know, absolutely radically altering the environment and, and co- uh, the weakness of the old empire was its cities. It was based on sin. You can't move a city. The city, if it's going to be submerged, is going, you lost it. You've absolutely, and you have to start over again. So that was the point of the soft apocalypse, not to kill humans, but to kill their cities. So yes, the... A soft apocalypse occurs. The story of Noah's flood, Noah's ark, uh, commences. The Noah's ark is built in Arkansas with the gopher wood, and it flows down to the Mississippi, goes to the Gulf of Mexico, uh, returns, lands in uh, Ararat. Um, it's in America, I believe. It's Ararat, North Carolina, and basically, all of those events happen in North America. Now, we know, or we can point to the Sumerian era beginning at this time, a.k.a. the time um, of the second apocalypse is over, the second empire, our second stage is over, the people, Garden of Eden era is over with, uh, now begins the Iron Age, that's the Golden Age is over, now begins the Iron Age, the Brass Age, the Copper Age, the Ages of Strife and War. As the survivors of Noah's Ark have no common language, they have no common identity, and they have no common empire. And I say survivors of Noah's Ark, not that's just one case. There were many, every society that survives from now has a legend of a flood from now on. The, the anti diluvian age is over, the diluvian age begins. Uh, we all begin from survivors of this flooding or survivors of tribes that are rebuilding after the flood, either having survived it or seen it, observed it, um, or were, and everyone alive was saved by only the sp- uh, express will of the Elohim, the star people, right? So this was caused and... The salvation was provided for by the same entity, historically, the Elohim, the Ashtar High Command. No exceptions. So this is a wrath of God slash uh, moment where God rebuilds. God giveth and God taketh away. Thus creating the true nature of God as we see it. God of storms. God of attacks. God is a weapon against the unrighteous are based on human action, righteousness is then judged by gods. The gods of the stars, the gods of the heaven, the gods of the storm, the gods of the waters, the gods of the ocean. This is where the next pantheon begins. This is the beginning of pantheism. This is the beginning of paganism of the Greeks, 
or the Vikings or the Romans or the Egyptians. All of it now begins. But like I said, all of that's happening in America. All of that's happening in the North America, South America, Western Hemisphere, where these different surviving nations are creating basically identical pantheons to tell the event, the survivors the events of what has occurred that they have witnessed, literally witnessed, that these human-type gods of can cast lightning bolts and thunderstorms and create plague and flooding. There's a sea god who can create tidal waves with a trident and things like that. That is happening in these myths because they are trying to preserve the last two apocalypses. And now they don't have a common language because the survivors start to grow and evolve naturally. This is the free will that they're in the nature of man that is the nature of God, the soul of man that they are trying to save. Is our ability to evolve and progress constantly with naturally. And that natural process is super important psychically and spiritually. That the Chinese can become the Chinese and the Africans can become the Africans and the Swedish can become the Swedish and the uh, Eskimos can become the Eskimos all free to create their culture and to pursue their way of life and to uh, flourish and thrive and be left in peace and to do as they will. That is the intention. But because of that, the age of strife and war begin. Because unlike the cultures like the Eskimos, which are far removed, the survivors are super isolated, uh, some societies start meeting each other. And when they meet each other, they realize they both have so much in common and yet are so different that things like the wars of unification, of the creation of empires, begins. And this is when the events of Exodus, or at least the events leading up to Exodus start beginning. Say, for example, the survival of Abraham with Sarah and his having to travel to distant lands which evolved to be Egypt and that he, you know, has this connection and that's basically interpreted as the reseeding and recreation of empire from diaspora tribes in North America and South America that had survived the recent flooding and were literally sometimes separated by miles of ocean where once there were just plains, where there was forests, where there was a continent to walk across. Now most of the land was submerged. The Nile River was like the Amazon was a much more imposing river, but at the same time also much more bountiful. And that societies flourished because of the... With water came the vegetation, and with vegetation came the rain season, etc. But because the weather was um, adjusting, because it was post-apocalypse, post-deluge, right? So the weather is cyclical 
and at the same time isn't in this case. So that's where the biggest strife comes from. Rain seasons, understanding uh, the new weather patterns, and praying to gods to create harvest seasons and favorable crops, etc. This is the age of the Mesopotamics, uh, of the Mexipotamia, of the Mesopotamia, the Mississippi mound builders, the pyramid builders, the beginnings of the Egyptian, ancient Egyptian, true ancient Egyptian cultures, the pyramid builders, the sun, the beginning of solar worship, which is considered the closest star. Um, when they start understanding that the sun is just like the stars at night in terms of it's just closer then they start worshipping the sun because they've been worshipping the star people who they believe are and they know are the literal creators of their world the liberators of them from the dragons the evil of the Tiamat era primordial chthonic beasts of the underworld and they are literally the punishers of any disrespect or unrighteous living towards man or them or them and so at this stage which is the end of the third apocalypse and beginning of the fourth age god worship is extremely important uh, whether it be pantheistic, and both of these are the correct answer, by the way. This is as a moralist. This is both the I'm going to say because it's worshiping the Astra High Command, uh, and that they both worship that one, the galactic rule of one, which is what people know as monotheism, and uh, the pantheistic worship of sun of the of the astro theological world, the zodiac and the uh, pantheistic uh, legends of all these ancient societies as well as the Abrahamistic sacred numerology and engineering and things like that of the of the natural world, uh, with the only evils being the hedonistic, perverse sadism, sacrosanct sadism of the Orion Draco in the scenario, which is absolutely just the terms of the war itself. Like I said, if you don't even want to look at it ethically or morally, just the terms of the war is that the victor has that as its mission objective to destroy and eradicate and that the psycho, uh, psychosexual sadists of the vampiric Orion Draco have that as the belief and knowledge that they are trying to preserve as well as pass on because it's like a cancer and once it takes one cell it can quickly rebuild itself and just from one cell, it, it never is immortal, basically. It's like those immortal human cells or the cancer cells uh, and things like that. They're zombie cells. And that's the power of the Orion Draco. And that's subterranean, and that's been uh, the issue between taking over society with this Orion Draco belief is that it's a pr these apocalypses are patterns of eradication. And each time they eradicate about 90% of all evil and so it's already on the 90th percent of four eradications so it's already at a very very small stage so for a while 
that is absolutely allowed to thrive, and society is reaching a near utopia again, even though it's one of hardship and famine and, um, you know, it's not yet plague, it's famine. And also, if you notice, these are like the four horsemen of apocalypse, war, famine, um, you know, uh, poverty and, and plague, right? Or death and plague. But this is basically where Egypt and the Fertile Crescent begins. And this is where Isis worship begins because um, Isis is known as the, the star, the Polaris star. And uh, Inanna, the fertile god, god of fertility, god of things like that. This is where basically the goddess is starting to become worshipped, the goddess of the earth, mother earth, etc. Because of the weather patterns, right? Which is perfectly fine, except that it causes the rifts between the old ruling class of Egypt and the new ruling class of Egypt, which is based on a religious schism. This is Moses, let my people go. This is the belief of that cult, not seeking to labor for the empire any longer, but to labor for their own spiritual empire the empire of monotheistic belief. This is also interpreted as the reign of Akhenaten. This is the reign of Moses. This is the events of the Exodus. Now, the events of the Exodus occur along the Mississippi River. They begin up north in Wisconsin, where the mound builders have a particular tribe, and that particular tribe worships the serpent, seeing it as a symbol of constant renewal and primal regenerative immortality and resource. This is a prime belief for many of the laborers who view sacred sexuality and matters of survival, uh, like surviving and hardship and, um, stamina in the deserts in the wilderness as high priority rather than living in urban or city dwellings also these people are now are also very hardened and being mostly desert type people are are you know um plains dwellers people who can't rely on the infrastructure of the empire they have very little loyalty and a lot of ability to defend themselves, a lot of weaponry, etc. They view Moses, Akhenaten, as a literal savior figure, or a chosen one, a prophet. But he is not the Moses of your picture books, where he's a man of rags, and he's unkempt, and he looks like a madman. He's literally a pharaoh. He's a rival pharaoh. Um pictured as Akhenaten. The schism, though, occurs, and he is forced into exile or retreat, basically, due to a, at first, a military victory, and then forced to retreat down the Mississippi River. This is also coinciding with an age of plague, 
with much of the ecological hardship which was seen as the plagues of God, the ten plagues of Egypt, by the way. The reason why I mentioned the weather is because the ecology, the environment, had massive storms. It had strange and never-precedented events occurring all the time. It was a place of wilderness and wild mutant beasts, etc. That it was just fucking weird and kind of post-apocalyptic because the apocalypse just happened, but it was one of water. So there was a lot of fear of the sea, fear, fear of monsters from the sea, or a lot of uh, fear of other tribes, fear that they may be cannibals, fear that they may be savages, uh, a lot of strange belief if it wasn't in the pagan or pantheonic belief, and a lot of war in between tribes. There was a lot of uh, uh, paranoia, right? So travel really wasn't considered ideal. And in fact, many people had never traveled before. And the hardships of travel and logistics basically were a new undertaking in this reset. So Moses and his party, his, his people... Their exodus was very careful, and it was very methodical, and they were charting and exploring basically new ground, and they did so for a couple of generations. Now, Moses may have famously never seen, and this might be completely true, but it also may not just be a myth, that the identity of Moses uh, could have morphed into Aaron. So from Moses the Pharaoh to take a new name of a new people, Aaron, and to no longer claim himself a pharaoh, but a high priest of Israel, which Israel is a people. It's a people who worship Isis, Ra, and Elohim. So Isis, the goddess of earth, Ra, the god of the sun, and Elohim, the people of the stars, the shining ones. El, specifically Ashtar, the lead of the star people, right? And that the one who both destroys and saves this holy trinity if you were the goddess of knowledge sophia which is the goddess of the earth the mother nature who provides the god of the sun uh, also the powerful magics of protection and the the power of the sun as well as the elohim el israel so these were the ancient hebrews these were the israelites the people of moses who, who moses freed who were people mostly of the lower enslaved working class, but who lived also mostly in the wilderness, who were shepherds, who uh, were hardy and individual, and they were okay to survive the travels, fight, defend themselves, meet other tribes, uh, mostly defeat other tribes, and their journeys brought them across both the deserts of the Mojave, which is the American deserts, because they did a big-ass loop, and then across the Reed Sea, once they were back into Egyptian territory in Texas they reached the Gulf of Mexico down the rivers and they crossed the Reed Sea which is they meaning they walked along the coast so that they could be hurt they couldn't really be tracked very well and the chariots that were chasing them the horsemen and charioteers didn't have the ability to really keep up with them crossing shallow waters muds and island hopping basically hopping from island to island and they basically crossed the red sea the reed sea and if you've ever been in the gulf of mexico and then the areas between new orleans and down south to south texas 
You know that the sand dunes have very tall grass. The sand dunes, if left uncut, would have grass close to 15 feet tall. The cat of nine tails, which is very famous for growing in shallow water, swamp water basically on coastlines, easily gets over 10 feet tall. And the water itself may only be one or two feet deep. So a group of people confidently led by someone they believed in and who was intelligent enough to know about these things could easily lead people on foot across these swampy and shallow lagoons through the reeds if they were being chased by anyone who was able to literally run them down and murder them on high ground or flat level ground. Instead of walking on the land, they began to walk more into the ocean. Like I said, they did loop around. They did loop around going from the Mojave and the inland deserts. And that was possible because there was a shallow sea temporarily located in the Midwest with its shores being around the Colorado Rockies. This is absolutely verifiable. It did not happen millions of years ago. It happened because of the deluge and like a drying puddle dried up. California used to be an island. It was the Salton Sea. They walked around those areas before eventually coming to the Gulf Coast, walking down the Gulf Coast after being pursued by the reigning Egyptian pharaoh, Moses' brother, Ramses III. After surviving that and, and successfully fleeing the charioteers and the personal king's army, they began their arrival into the Fertile Crescent. This is where they supposedly traveled through the mountains, waged war with mountain giants, and established their kingdom in the Judea Valley, or the Valley of Judah, and then the Israel Valley, the Jezreel Valley. This is absolutely correct in terms of narrative, but definitely not in location. Like I said, it didn't happen in the Middle East, but happened in Mexico. They traveled from the coast into the mountains of Mexico, where Mexico City is, where they saw the vision of the eagle eating the snake. This they confirmed with their high priest class and new high priest of Israel, Aaron, a.k.a. Moses, as the vision given to him by God and choosing their location for a new capital, a new Jerusalem, a new center of the world, a city of the sun, Tegnoctiklan. The people we know as the Aztecs were these people. The story of the Aztecs is that they originated in Wisconsin during the Mississippi Mound Building era. The Mississippi Mound Builders is absolutely covered up. They are giants of Bronze Age origin and they have thousands of mounds made of soil imported from across the country which are far larger than any stone pyramid in existence. 
They originated in the northern Mississippi River Valley around the Great Lakes, which they used as mines for copper until they filled with water. There are stone hinges of Paleolithic origin on the bottom of Lake Michigan. These were the temporary oceans I described, but those were located in more of the Mojave area, thus reducing that entire Death Valley area, Baja California area, into a desert because of the salt content of the water reducing it and sterilizing it, leaving it barren. But I digress. Like I said before, North Egypt and South Egypt were inverted. The people of the Mississippi River Delta of the Gulf Coast had invaded and conquered the northern extent where the Great Lakes are, which they knew as the Congo, or what we interpret as the Congo. It is an area rich in mines and diamond mines and metals, bronze and brass. And copper, I mean copper to make bronze and brass. Tin and iron, wood. This made Egypt the most powerful nation, and they considered themselves the rulers of the world. It was at this time that the world was going through massive changes still. Thus, the advent of plague, red tide, massive storms, invasions of species etc. So their reign was turbulent and fraught with hazard. One of these moments of plague was decimating the northern Mississippi Mountain Builder population. It was at this time that Moses Akhenaten, the pharaoh of the northern, aka southern Egypt, who had taken a divergent religious path concluded that he was a sign of his God to leave Egypt seeing that his people were saved with their adherence to local superstitions thus the preserve, uh, the, the ritualistic vampirism of blood and the interpretation of the Old Testament these blood sacrifices are the sacrifices of sheep where the sheep's throats are slit and the blood is put above the doorway so that the angel of death passes over their residence. In reality, they were the sacrifices of children and human beings known as goyim of livestock, the slave caste, The human blood was adorned to their residences and to their persons as described to them by their serpent deity, the dragon Yahweh. With this Orion Draco uh, insistence and worship the people of Moses fled or first 
um, sought rebellion, and upon the emperor's attack, fled from his chariots into the deserts of Montana, down through Utah, through the Mojave, through the northern Mexican, Arizona, uh, Egypt, and or, sorry, the Arizona Great Grand Canyon, into North Mexico, New Mexico, West Texas, and eventually through the Gulf Coast. They could not go further south because they were already pre-existent, powerful nations. A lot of what happened in the book of Exodus relates the battles, the book of Kings, the book of Samuel, Samson, the battles and integration hardships that this new, now newly created and formed nation-state of the Aztec Indians had firmly rooted themselves in central mountain Mexico. There were enemy tribes along the Yucatan Peninsula, the Phoenicians, the extremely powerful Phoenician merchant sailors. There were Greek island tribes colonizing the inlands for resources. There were what they would know as uh, mountain giant tribes massive and powerful empires in central Mexico. And there were the massive nations of the wilderness that were Egyptian in origin and rivaled and were as powerful, separated through the massive distance of North America. The Babylonians, the Persians, the Sumerians, all those peoples resided up north, which were the deserts they had to flee through. Thus, staying in those empires was impossible for the size and power of their military and their warriors uh, would have forced them to be quickly enslaved. Moving south was their best bet, but upon reaching the central uh, mountains and seeing the vision, that is where they firmly rooted the capital, this new Jerusalem, Tignatalan, the city of the sun. City literally in the middle of the earth, in their interpretation. From this mountain lake city that they waged war against the first the mountain giants and the kings of the mountains. For, then they waged war against the coastal tribes and the Canaanites and the Philistines of the Yucatan and Central America. They, these were the Mayans. These were the remnants of the Mayans, the various tribes uh, that existed, but no one can really adequately explain what happened to them besides uh, the Aztecs coming in later and conquering the entire region. They were conquered and eradicated by the Aztecs who practiced total war as described by Joshua as described by uh, described by Joshua uh, killing all men and women and children and animals in the city um, the same as the Ark of the Covenant bringing holy devices um, to their gods, uh, from their gods, uh, possibly fragments of meteorites discovered in the desert. Uh, one of the weird interpretations I have is that mana from heaven is also doves, and the mana from heaven were because li- in South Texas you literally get big flocks of thousands, if not tens of thousands, of doves flying across the sky sometime, and that walking through South Texas in the Exodus. Mana from heaven was also described as sometimes quails. And quails also live in South Texas. We have quails and we have doves. We're known for quail hunting and dove hunting. 
this mana from heaven was that. It was the deliverance of food in the form of dove, and God became synonymous with doves because of the nourishment and the the provision of them specifically associated with mana. There's a reason why mana is also, in many cultures, the word for magic. The word for a magical energy or a type of essence that one can uh, increase to prove one's virility or to increase one's power. But yes, um, so now they are in Mexico. Israel is recreated in Mexico. Jerusalem is Tignoctilan. And um, the... Israelites end up conquering, at least through the war, uh, not only their region, but the former cultural capitals and centers of the Phoenicians, of the Philistines, of all the Semitic peoples. This is later reinterpreted not as the history of the Aztecs alone, but also the entire history of the Hittites and Mesopotamia and Babylon, and etc., and uh, Persia, all of the Middle Eastern history, the Greeks, it's just North American history transcribed over there. The Greeks fought each other, Jamaica fought Cuba, um, etc., and they were Aryan, they were white-skinned, they were also uh, intermixed because of the amount of diversity that existed in the human population. Um, the African or the Moors were of Florida origin, of um, Islamic origin, was in North America, was in the Fertile Crescent ultimately. So all this would evolve to that. But the Hebrews, the Israelites, and their arcane society and empire that emerged afterwards, as well as the events of Rome and uh, the Crusades against Jerusalem are directly connect are directly due to Tenochtitlan, the Aztec Empire, and the New World, quote unquote, Mexico and the conquistas of South America and Mexico. Uh, North America was included in that because Mexico used to stretch to Canada, as well as the colonization of Canada and North America by the British, the Dutch and the otherwise Northern European, um, quote-unquote, Protestant, but in reality Catholic, uh, ruling families until the great schism between the church. But yeah, getting ahead of myself. So the events of King Solomon, the events of the the later eras of King David, um, King Saul, all that is occurring in Mexico. That's the Aztecs. As they devolve into Ahab and the bloodletting and ball worship, the material worship of blood and uh, death and uh, human sacrifice, which they become the quote-unquote synagogue of Satan. Then the appearance of the Messiah figure, Jesus Christ, occurs within the Phoenicians. Is a... um, deified Masonic figure very early in his life due to the Chaldeans that exist, the star 
zodiac astrologers and astrotheologians of the many empires that currently exist. I didn't say the Hebrews have a one-world government. It's exactly how it was described in the Bible. There is still Babylon. There is still Sumeria. There is still Mesopotamia at large, Persia, uh, ancient Egypt, etc. The Hebrews never returned to ancient Egypt and conquered them. I'm saying that collectively they have now an empire, which we know as the Israel and Judea. And then the events that would happen still in the Old Testament still happen um, but in North America, and they are basically the entire history of the world um, outside of China and uh, Europe, which are going to begin now. They are going to begin because the timeline is way fucked up. That You can't say that the, this is any case besides it either happened far more recently chronologically than we want to admit or far more ancient ago. And that this is actually kind of just um, after a fourth great reset, which we'll get to after the thousand-year reign of Christ. So, the Christians who become a kind of new cult quickly spreading across the empire of the old uh, Kabbalistic, Abrahamistic, pantheistic, um, quote-unquote, Roman Empire remember Rome there's no reason to think that this is actually 100% uh, according to each name but the Roman Empire quote unquote which is now absorbing Egypt well basically uh, it is it is absolutely you know you could say Rome started from South America and is now encroaching forward absorbing all these different empires and it already conquered the Seleucid Empire, thus conquering Jerusalem by the time Jesus Christ was born. So yes, uh, the Roman Empire was the Phoenicians. The Phoenicians having taken over, at least politically and militarily, the empire that had surrounded and kept uh, the where Jerusalem, the center of the world, Tignatelon, is. Ironically, Egypt is still existing. At this point, the Jesus Christ, the being known as Jesus Christ is born. We may know him better through these events as Julius Caesar. And as Julius Caesar, he is raised uh, with a tremendous expectation to conquer and the armies to do so, the power to do so. And as his conquests grow, and he converts the peoples with his miracles in an ever-increasing series of almost impossible uh, tasks, and he approaches them with the greatest ac academy of a warrior, which is not violence, but with diplomacy, but also a lot of violence, and justice and psychological operations, in fact, targeting people with spirituality and converting them to his cult of personality, creating ever increasingly the mythos as Alexander the Great would. In fact, Alexander the Great, Julius Caesar, and Jesus Christ are the same people. And I believe what this was all about was Jesus Christ militarily conquering Mesoamerica, 
via um, his birth from Mesoamerica for an empire, the Phoenicians, which have their roots maybe most likely in South America, but at the same time um, kind of decentralized around the entirety of the world at this point. And from within that system arose to become the master of that system, deified after his death, after his assassination, by that system's current high priest class, and the cult ritual meant to destroy his soul, but in reality created such a galvanization of his followers and their persecution of his followers created such a strong cult of personality and belief that it literally manifested himself as a god. Uh, this is not unheard of in the Hindu tradition. This is not unheard of in the Vedas. This is not unheard of in Buddhism. This is exactly that same path, actually, as uh, many of the Buddhas, many of the saints, etc., the martyrdoms. Now, this, of course, would all occur in North America. Um, now, we can kind of break away from having to describe every single event during that in Israel. But knowing that his popularity, his force, the Roman Empire, Julius Caesar leader of the Roman Empire, the Phoenician Empire, the Red Empire, with its populations being the colonies across the ocean, on the coast of Europe, on the coast of Africa, on the coast of the Mediterranean, North Africa, etc., uh, specifically Anatolia and Constantinople, um, and having there be a massive delay. Remember, technology is not existent to the point where they have um, direct communication anymore. But the ocean, I mean, they do have direct communication, but the ocean itself is still a, a gap. It's still, you know, it takes time for people to mobilize and then respond across an ocean using ship and sail. The armies of Christ, his host, which had been employed in basically subduing and increasing the empire of Rome, the Phoenicians, across Europe, Africa, and the Middle East at the time, basically launched themselves across the, across the Rubicon, seizing the throne of the uh, Roman Empire for Christianity, which is a moment in time that does occur this is all occurring in the New World, by the way, as the Conquista, as the war from the Vatican, which is located in the European continent, which incorporates reliquary and the populations from the subjugated pagans who were the uh, pantheists who at this point had already decided to wage war against the Christians. And this is an eternal civil war, by the way. This isn't a war between strangers. This isn't a war between different empires that have never met or communicated with each other. This is a war between very intimate statesmen and 
families in many cases. One choosing pagan, the other one choosing our pantheon belief, the other one choosing the cult of Christianity, the cult of Christ, the cult, the cult of Julius Caesar. So the Caesar Romans, the Romans of the Roman Empire under Caesar, are true to Caesar, and the Romans of the SPQR, the Hebrew Abrahamistic pantheistic syncretists of the old Roman Empire are fighting to the death and those are now considered pagans and those are now considered um, barbarians those are now considered um, the enemies of Christ and the enemies to the Catholic Church the enemies of the Vatican witches, heretics um in many cases, even monsters, vampires, things like that. Um, Islam the, is considered this in its earliest days. Although Islam will be incorporated by Masonic uh, Catholics at that point, and Muhammad will be created. And Muhammad will exterminate and wage a genocide against the old SPQR ISIS worship of the Middle East and these fringe networks. Not as the Catholics, but as the new created Catholics uh, written Quran um, and Muhammadists. <coughs> and the name of Islam, taking over the title of Islam. And all of this is accepted. Because it is the natural evolution and free will of mankind to devise a system for itself and to birth its own spirituality at least far from the control of the Orion Draco and the reptilian worship of the dragon. Now, this begins the thousand year reign of Christ where technology is restored from where it was previously lost. And in my interpretation, technology is restored for 1,000 years, one millennia, creating the architecture and technology that we know as Antiquitech, away from the dark ages of spiritual alchemy and sorcery of the Kabbalistic SPQR, uh, centered in Jerusalem, which was the Aztec Empire. Right? No longer was human sacrifice how things were done for the uh, rain god or the sky god for crops. But now we were controlling the weather. We were able to um, have dominion over the earth and all things in the world, much like they did during the days of Babel. Once again, though, but in a more ethical and less aggressive, rebellious way, but in a way of humility and righteousness through the Masonic leadership of the deified God-man, God-Caesar, the God-King, the God-Crown of Christ. And through Christ's 1,000 years of life, resurrected from death, um, the people saw a golden age once again, where they literally created the world as seen in the pictures of Tartaria 
online of, say, old San Francisco, old L.A., old Chicago, old New York, old everything. The big skyscrapers, the thousands of idyllic streets that are free from trash or garbage, the direct energy, the free grid, all of that. The electro smog, all of that existed under the divine protection of the Astar High Command approving of the thousand year millennial reign of Christ Caesar on earth all art flourished all music flourished all technology all industry achieved heights like it's never achieved before then as prophesied and as necessary to continue the evolution of man and the evolution of our spirit those beings reached ascendancy in an event called the rapture and all true believers of Christ in that kingdom were taken to the Ashtar High Command to be given their immortal new bodies as Ashtar High Command angels as saints within the Ashtar High Command and Galactic Federation of Light given their light bodies now this was completely as prophesied and understood, thus beginning the little season. The little season is the gap between this process where they, these humans of this former 1,000-year reign of peace and utopia are given their astral light bodies by the Astra High Command to return to Earth to forever control it. Because remember, there's there's a big difference between light speed and relativistic experience with time, and time is completely manipulated. We don't know what a day is, what a year is. We just use things like the sun, etc., compared to real time, astral travel time, etc. So when they're traveling light speed, one one day in light speed could be 100 years for us, could be 200 years, could be 300 years. We don't really know for sure. No one's ever really figured that out, but it's speculated. Like, have you seen Interstellar? He travels every minute is like ten, eight years on Earth, etc. So, when you're traveling, they keep that in mind. Now it begins the little season on Earth, where all those that were left behind, quote-unquote, those, the minority that was against Christ, they are in the time of Satan, a new Orion Draco control era, where these remnants who never believed or never loved the utopia they were born into are born now forever on a cycle controlled by the Orion Draco, not forever, but currently controlled by the Orion Draco who have reasserted control, climbing out of the shadows of the holes of hell that they were in. The devil released from the pit, unchained from the pit, because he was chained with the Astra High Command's presence, now we've already gone through that. We've suffered that through the 1850s, which was the rediscovery of all the old, now empty cities. Not necessarily because of the mud flood, although the mud flood is real, and that was the different apocalypse ages, the different ages, the anti-Diluvian, Diluvian age. But now, literally lying, because all they can do is lie, they are absolutely against the system, Heart and soul rejected the system so much that they were left behind, literally left behind, intentionally judged unworthy of achieving immortality because of their hatred of the true ethos that Christ Caesar embodied 
and the power and the blessings that the Ashtar High Command had to offer. They have completely lied about history. They have completely lied about science. They have completely lied about humanity. They have completely lied about uh, spirituality. They have completely lied about medicine. They have completely lied about everything. Art. They have completely lied about entertainment. They have completely lied about um, like everything. Every nature, uh, mathematics, physics. They've completely lied from day one of inheriting a world they did not create, a world that they cannot truly operate because they were never given the secrets to operating these things. They do not understand how orgone works, for example, or anything. They may have knowledge of it, but it does not mean that they understand it. Now, the breakaway civilization is still in control. It's just ruling from the stars. It's ruling from the various heavenly bodies like the moon and Mars, etc., from various different areas um, and different bases. The people of the stars, the people of the Elohim, protect these, keep them on board their ships, exchange the information from the various extraterrestrials that make up the Ashtar High Command, and are elevating and evolving humanity uh, now to its real potential, the potential that would took time to reach free of the Orion Draco perversions and exploitations. The people left behind are willingly worshipping and calling and evoking those same Orion Draco again. But it was all by design. I said this began from the 1800s to uh, 2020, so it was about 200 years. The Ashtar High Command are returning to Earth. They are already here. They are, in, like I said, this is a stage process. It's does, not on our calendar, but it's currently already being undertaken. The Shining Ones are returning. Christ returning. The Heavenly Host returning. Um, to, to rule again now, but forever. And that these beings are trying to fulfill the books of Revelation but trying to prolong it because they've lied so effectively to themselves that the enemy is effectively atheistic and does not even remember or believe in the in the prophecies that they are themselves trying to fulfill which is why you'll never receive any education from the system that's accurate even though they are firmly aware that they are lying to you. They have lied so much that they don't even know the truth. The truth I'm trying to share to you here. And this is just part one of interpreting and synthesizing, synergizing the knowledge of extraterrestrials and the exopolitical reality of the Astro High Command's liberation and protection of humanity initiation of humanity into this galactic federation of light the truth of our history our date with destiny as Americans and the importance of the truth and understanding the future to know the future you must know history you must know the past. 
And the best way to see the future is to see clearly the past. All you need to do to see it is just to ask for it to be revealed to you. And it starts becoming obvious. It starts becoming all that you can see and soon all that you can think about. And knowledge begins to flow from literally the universe towards you. And you start seeing it in architecture. You start seeing it in uh, history. And um, the real, in the lies, you start seeing the truth. And it starts becoming very, very obvious to anyone with eyes. Now, I don't know why we were born when we were born and why we were born here. I know I said this age was the little age, the age that Satan rules. I know I said the people born here were those that rejected Christ's kingdom. And maybe we were. But now I think this is our chance for repentance to see the truth. Maybe we were blinded and this is our karma maybe we are star seeds sent to this earth for the first time to help save it whatever the case we can't be vain and and wish away revelations like these no matter how dark their implications are and I've always said the darkest truths need to be told so maybe it is a matter of coming to terms with a spiritual component of salvation, of embracing not the broken, chaotic schisma of our past lives, not our intergenerational demons, not our bad karma, but to liberate ourselves from the ego first, the id second, And our pride third. And thank you all very much for listening to me out there in Dreamland. You've listened to Beyond Top Secret Texan. I am the Beyond Top Secret Texan, broadcasting you from the Gulf Coast, the third coast the coast with the most gulf coast of texas pride and privilege to be doing so thank you all very much check out link tree slash beyond top secret texan to get links to all my social media please like share and subscribe join up um share this episode with your friends etc try to get as many people to listen to this as possible it'll be up online for free for uh, two months and then now the policy is Shows older than two months go into the subscriber-only archive, so if you would like to listen to any of the older episodes from the beginning to a few years ago to even um, just last year, you're going to need to become a subscriber. You're going to need to join through Anchor FM to unlock all those episodes in the archive. This is made uh, so that it's just you know fresh start, clean slate. But every two months, we're going to be going from the uh, from the public domain to the archive. Uh, so listen to it while you can. Listen to it on repeat. 
listen to it again, uh, take advantage of any time you got to it, listen to those episodes that are up, because they won't be up forever, and uh, share so that, you know, others can take advantage of the moment as well. Thank you all very much. Namaste and shalom. Iron sharpens iron. A friend sharpens a friend. Thank you all very much. God bless you and your families. Peace out.